0: I'm going to make my way through here. I wasn't going to be here today, but um, as Dan Tuttle prayed, Chris uh, Stevens, he's had back problems. I think he might have a herniated disc or something going on, so the doctors told him he has to stay on his back, and so that didn't include being here and leading music and doing worship. But I am here, and I'm overall pretty happy. So uh, we had a good Thanksgiving, and my pants still basically fit, so that's good. Um, So before we get started, we'll just do a quick Thanksgiving survey. Who has turkey left? Anybody? I don't. All right, very nice. Um, Who watched, or no, no, who put up their Christmas tree already? Yeah, we didn't. Who watched Michigan, Ohio State? All right, who was upset by the result? You are my people. I also hate Ohio State, although that's probably not the language I should use in church, is it? Anyway, well, we had a good Thanksgiving, and we are so glad to be back, and... um, we are so glad that you're here. So, well, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the turkey if you have it left. If not, you know, there's always next Thanksgiving. This morning, we are concluding an 11-week series on boundaries. Uh, and so, I just wanted to, in this last week, I'm just going to review where we've been. I'm going to do it briefly, and then I've just got some closing words that I want to give you, kind of as we wrap this series up. I kind of want to give you some encouragement. I want to give you a little bit of a warning, and I want to uh, inspire you with the vision of who Jesus is. And so that's kind of where we're headed this morning. But before we get into all that, I just want to review where we've been. We started week one by talking about what is what are boundaries by giving definition. And a boundary is an invisible fence that defines what we are and are not responsible for. And that's the last time you have to hear me say that for a little while. But it, it defines what we are and what we are not responsible for. And the truth is that we are responsible to others, but we are responsible for ourselves. We have responsibilities to others to help them out, to help to help people when we can, but we have a responsibility to carry our own load and to take care of ourselves. And so part of what boundaries are is defining what is someone else's load and what's our load. What are we responsible to carry for others and help them with and what are they responsible to carry for themselves? And so that's kind of what the whole topic of boundaries is about. Week two, we looked at the fact that boundary problems develop. Because we lack unconditional love. And in fact, we need unconditional love to be able to give unconditional love. And when we don't feel like we've been loved well, we start to squeeze love and security and acceptance out of other people, and that always goes bad for you and for others. Week three, we looked at the laws and myths of boundaries. You know, a law is something that is an undeniable fact of reality, and it doesn't really matter what you believe about it. If you jump off a 10-story building, the law of gravity decides that you will die, right? It doesn't matter if you scream all the way down, gravity is not real, I will not die. When you hit the floor or the concrete, you're done, right? A myth is something that is commonly held falsehoods. They're things that we commonly believe, but they're just not true. Um, in weeks four through ten, we started going through specific relationships and how We need to have better boundaries in these areas. Week four, we looked at family relationships, and we saw that families without boundaries are dysfunctional, and maybe some of you come from those. In week five, we looked at friendship, and we looked at friendships without boundaries are dishonest. When we are not honest with other people in our lives, we have, by definition, boundary problems. For the truth sets us free, but sin enslaves us. And so if you fuel your friendships by not telling them the truth, then you really don't have a really close friendship, do you? In week six, we looked at marriage and we looked at how successful marriages include submission. But we saw that submission is a voluntary thing we give to each other, and that submission is the role of both spouses in the party. It's not the role of just one. In week seven, we looked at uh, parenting and boundaries and parenting and children. And we saw that loving parents discipline their children. And this may not be a popular concept, but discipline is nothing more than an external boundary that leads to internal boundaries. When we discipline our kids well, we are not just getting them to behavior modify to do what we want them to do. We are getting them to set up boundaries for themselves that when they are 18 and they leave your house, they'll still eat broccoli every week or so, right? And we saw that God, he disciplines us all the time, but he does not punish us. Punish us, For discipline is all about the future and it's about the relationship, but punishment is just about recapping, reco- uh, recouping what you lost. In week, uh, week eight, we talked about work and we saw that work is nothing more than serving others and work is not an essential evil, but it is really a good thing. And through our work, we get to participate in the good news or the story of God putting this world back to rights. Week nine, we looked at boundaries with ourselves and how we cannot have control of our lives until we're able to tell ourselves no when we should tell ourselves no and yes when we should tell ourselves yes. Yes. And in fact, boundaries with ourselves might be the hardest place to set boundaries in our lives. And then just last week, we looked at boundaries in your God. We saw that we have pictures of God that lead us down wrong paths, and we need to carefully define and limit how we think about God, and we need to start reorienting our view around what the Bible says about who God really is, and not the messages or the, the default thoughts that we have from God about God growing up. Today we talk about developing healthy boundaries, and so it's kind of just a summary of everything that we've looked at, and it's an encouragement as we close up for you to live out what we've been talking about these past 10 weeks. Developing healthy boundaries in all these areas of relationships takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of discipline, but above all, maybe it takes the desire to do it. Unfortunately, the majority of us resist boundary setting, even though we know that some of the areas in our lives are unhealthy. But we resist, I think, because we recognize the uncomfortable conflict that setting boundaries is going to cause. We know by telling people no, that we've told yes all our whole life, that they are not going to respond really well to our yes. And we know they're going to apply some you know, resistance and some pressure And for a lot of us, we lack the strength or the resolve to withstand the pressure or the resistance. And that's fine, and everybody can empathize with that. But what it creates for you is misery because you can't stand firm. And so today I want to give you a little bit of encouragement to stand firm and hopefully encourage you all who are sitting here to help each other to stand firm in doing what is healthy. Doing what is healthy at times can be really difficult, but we never get where we want to go by doing things that are unhealthy because doing what is healthy is difficult, do we? God wants us to set boundaries, and the truth is, he doesn't want us to set boundaries so that he can be more proud of us. He wants us to set boundaries for our own benefit. Unfortunately, for many people, Just hearing me say setting boundaries is not enough. Most of us need to experience the pain of a lack of boundaries before we are willing to get the desire to live and to set the boundaries that God wants us to set and to get serious about it. It seems like teenagers especially are prone to this, right? They have to go through um, the school of hard knocks before they're able to learn it by hearing their parents just say. And the good parents don't say, I told you so, right? But... In their mind they think, I told you so. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could learn instead of going through the miserable pain that our wrong actions cause, wouldn't it be better if we could learn to self-correct before we go through the catastrophic event? And so God wants us to set boundaries for our own benefit. And as I speak to you this morning, and I wrap up this series, I recognize that I can't possibly know everything that's going on in each of your relational lives. I, I don't know you all that well, even though we see each other mostly every Sunday. But you tell me the things you want me to know, and I do the same with you. But in, at night, when you put your head on the pillow, there are things that you think about that perhaps no one else in this room knows about. And we don't really know where you stand with relational boundaries. Perhaps some of you are a really healthy place and you've worked hard to get there and you've set appropriate boundaries in your life that are leading to deeply satisfying relationships. And if that's the case, then well done. That's the goal for all of us. Perhaps some of us think you have set healthy relationships, but if you were to ask your family or your friends or your coworkers, they would disagree. And you kind of know that, but you ignore it. And maybe you don't understand why everyone else in your relational life is having a hard time with you, and it always seems to be a struggle. If so, I hope that you will take some time to reevaluate where you are with your relationships. And perhaps some of you desperately need boundaries and have full recognition that you need them. And you want to be on the path of setting boundaries and taking control of your life. And if so, really I'm speaking to you this morning, the person who is struggling to set healthy boundaries in their relational lives, but recognizes the difficulty. To you, I want to speak to you. And as I alluded a little bit ago, I want to give you encouragement, I want to give you a warning, and I want to fill you with a vision of who Jesus is. That is the foundation for all boundary setting. This morning, as we get started, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 16. 16. Uh, it's found uh, in the blue book in front of you, the Bible. It's found on page 437. Psalm chapter 16, page 437. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, you're welcome at any moment to just keep the one you have in the seat in front of you. We'd love to give you that as a gift. In Psalm chapter 16, the passage that we're going to be reading in just a moment, we are about to hear from a psalmist, a, a person who recognized the joy of having a healthy Relationship with God that is full of boundaries. And I want you to hear how he describes it. Follow with me as I read aloud in Psalm chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This psalm is really a picture of a person who has learned that putting up boundaries— And keeping God in the center of their life is a pathway of blessing and not of uh, limiting your joy. It is a pathway of blessing. In fact, you'll notice in the text in Psalms uh, 16, verse 3, that the psalmist says that those who run on another path will suffer more and more. You'll notice that in your text, that putting up boundaries, the psalmist describes that keep God in the center of all our lives, keep us safe, We see this in verse 1, in verse 5, and in verse 9. We see that putting up boundaries helps us create relationships with others that bring joy to our lives, in verse 3. We see, or in verse 2, we see that setting boundaries is pleasant, in verse 6, that it brings guidance, in verse 7, and that it brings eternal blessings, in verse 6, in 10 through 11. The encouragement that I have for you today, and as we look at the psalmist, a person who understands what it looks like to put up boundaries and to live in the joy of following them, we don't get the entire picture, so he doesn't tell us the difficulty that he had in getting to the place that he is at. But as you see what he talks about, you see the blessings that he is experiencing as a result of living in the center of God's will and keeping God at the center of his life and not letting his relationships take him out of God's will. That's the encouragement. That if we learn to set boundaries, we will experience the blessing that the psalmist describes in verse 16, 1-11. And as you read this passage, you hear his emotional well-being just coming right out of the text. It's not always that way when we read the Psalms, but we see it here in Psalm chapter 16. Despite the picture, however, that the psalmist gives us here, humanity has always resisted setting boundaries. You and I have always resisted setting boundaries. This isn't a recent problem. It's always existed. And I bring this up so that you will not be surprised when you struggle to set boundaries in your life. The struggle, or we might even say the war, the battle is normal. But it is worth fighting through. I remember I was listening to, um, I think it was Financial Peace University, and Dave Ramsey, he used to sell uh, real estate, and he would talk about whenever he would close the deal on the last day, you know, when they're signing that big uh, stack of paperwork, he would always tell them, now tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to wish you hadn't done this because you just spent a lot of money, right? And if you've ever spent a lot of money, you're, you kinda, your head gets red and your blood pressure goes up, and you're like, what have I just done? I know what it took to make that money, and now it's gone. Um, And he said, you're just going to struggle with that. And so, you know, that's normal for about a couple days. But after that, you're going to feel grateful that you bought this house. And he said, after he started saying that statement, the amount of people who reneged on their agreement afterwards within the uh, allotted time frame, you know, where they could get out of the deal, went down to about nothing. And so this morning, if you are considering setting boundaries or perhaps you've started to try and you are coming up against the inevitable resistance that will occur... That is normal. And it's normal for a couple reasons. Why, we have, uh, why is it so normal? Because there are ob- obstacles that we face in setting boundaries. And they come from really two sources. First, they come from outside resistance. What we mean here is they come from other people. Like I mentioned earlier, if you've said no to somebody your whole life, and then they ask you again and you say yes, they're going to be surprised and they're going to be overjoyed. But if you've said yes to somebody your whole life and you begin to say no to them, they're going to be angry. And so the first place that we see obstacles coming from outside and the first reaction that we really see is angry reactions. When we start to define who we are and what we are responsible for and what we are not responsible for, and as we start to make changes in our lives and relationships, with people who have gotten used to relating to us in a certain way, we are going to inevitably come up against anger. You know, if there's been a husband who comes home late for dinner every night because he's at work, and the wife always waits and always keeps the kids ready and always has the food when he gets home, even though he's late, and just continues to nag and complain about the fact that he's late, But never does anything, he's gonna get used to the fact that food will always be there. But that first time when that wife says, You know, honey, if you don't come home on time, I'm just serving the kids and there may not be any food left, and he comes home and there's no food, it's a close relationship, the husband and the wife. But I bet you there'd be some anger at not getting his fish sticks. You know what I mean? (laughs) Who eats fish sticks anymore? I don't. I don't like fish sticks but that husband is mad because he doesn't have any. You understand? But what we have to understand is that anger is not something, uh, their anger is not a result of something that we've done to them, but something that we are not doing for them that they want us to do. When somebody else has an angry reaction to our appropriate boundaries, their wishes are being frustrated, and if anger is the result, then they have a character problem, don't they? And if you give in to their anger, their character problem, you will reinforce this character problem. But not giving in to their anger, especially if you have done so in the past, will be really hard and will cause conflict. You have to push through. And eventually, that husband who never gets any fish sticks, he'll get home on time. Second way that we see outside resistance is guilt messages. You see, guilt messages are really the same, same type of uh, expression as anger. They're just kind of the, the other side of the same coin. Some people get angry and some people try to use guilt. If every time your mom calls you and you answer the phone and you say, you know, mom, I really can't talk right now. And every time she says, you know, that's okay, but I'm really just lonely and I never have anybody to talk to anymore. And you stay on the phone with her. You have given in to her guilt message. And the first time that you say, No, I really don't, I have to help my kid with their homework, kids have a lot of homework. You got to do that stuff with them. The first time you do that, it's going to be hard and it's going to feel difficult. But guilt messages are just anger in disguise. And they are another attempt to control you and your behavior. We should always empathize with people who are in distress and who use guilt to try to control us. We should always empathize. But we should also recognize that their distress is their distress. And we shouldn't take the blame for it. Sometimes other people's angry reactions and their guilty messages result in unfair consequences in behavior. And if you start to set healthy boundaries with people who try to control you through anger or guilt, there may be consequences that you wish wouldn't have happened. In the book I read, uh, in the book Boundaries, in which is kind of um, where I've gotten a lot of my material for this series, as I was reading the book, they told a story about a man who had a, a father who had always controlled the son by his money. He was very wealthy, and he controlled the son with the wealth. And there came a day where the son said, you know, dad, I'm not going to do that. And the dad said, well, if you don't, I'm not going to support you anymore. And the son said, well, that's all right. I'm still not going to do it. And that dad eventually took his son out of his will, right? And that really stinks. That seems like an unfair consequence. And sometimes that kind of stuff happens. But even if We set healthy boundaries that result in unfair consequences. It is not better to be on the other side where we do not set healthy boundaries and we pursue an unhealthy life out of fear of anger or guilt that will result in unfair consequences. To be able to set these boundaries, you need each other. You could even look at each other. That's why we have small groups. That's why we try to come together as a church and we don't just stay home and listen to music and watch our favorite preacher. Because as we sit in these chairs next to each other, the hope is that you will go beyond just coming to church on Sunday and going away right away, but you will start to form relationships with other godly men and women who can support you and help you move in a healthy direction. You need healthy relationships to set healthy boundaries to help you stay strong in the midst of destructive relationships. But resistance to boundaries doesn't just come from the outside. It also comes from the inside, doesn't it? We, res- we experience inside resistance to boundaries. And these two come in two major areas. The first is our unmet needs. God designed us to have certain things psychologically that we need. And he designed our families and our relationships in our early childhood to get these things. He designed our families and our early relationships to provide support and security and acceptance and forgiveness for our problems and our mistakes and our sin. But many of us have not had an experience where we've experienced our psychological needs being met growing up. For some of us, maybe we did in some areas, some we didn't in others. And if so, you're kind of, I love how the book describes this, you're kind of like a psychological orphan and you need other relationships to replace or at least to reinforce you psychologically from all the destructive ones you've had growing up. You are psychological orphans, and you are in need to be adopted, and there's no better place than the church, the body of Christ. Whether it's this one or another one, there's churches all over the world, and our mission is to, part of our mission is to do this very thing, to help each other follow Jesus together, to help us set good boundaries that are healthy for us, that help others thrive and help us thrive. And above all, we want to be that kind of church. The second area we experience resistance on the inside is not just our unmet needs, but is also our unresolved grief. If unmet needs and the resistance that we experience due to them in our own emotional state, is about learning to let in the good with new relationships, then unresolved grief is all about teaching you to let go of the bad. There are times when we get treated unfairly. There are times when we get treated unfairly, perhaps out of, uh, as a direct result of doing something that is good and well. Kind of like the son I just described with the father who disinherited him. If we cannot learn to grieve, what sh- uh, to experience grief over what should be and is not, then we will not be able to sustain healthy boundaries. Uh, so this morning, we've looked at you know outside resistance and inside resistance. And we've seen that the outside resistance can take two forms, anger and guilt, and that our inside resistance is all about learning to deal with what should be and isn't, grief, and learning to deal with our unmet needs. Part of growing up is recognizing that we need to do this. And part of growing up is recognizing that we have all caused a debt or a problem in the life of other people. A part of forgiveness is recognizing that there are certain people who have done things to us that cannot repay us and that we forgive them anyway. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation where the relationship is completely restored, but it is letting go of the debt that we owed. And part of growing up is recognizing that each and every one of us has caused this kind of debt, that we have hurt others and we have estranged ourselves in our relationship with God. In fact, the Bible teaches us that our debt is more than we can pay. It teaches us that our sin, and I know this isn't popular in our culture in a lot of ways, but in some ways, I think it's just misunderstood because if people understood the message of sin, they would recognize the freedom of acknowledging and turning from it. But our debt of sin is more than we can pay. And just as we sometimes have to forgive someone else who's done something that they can't pay us back for, we have to recognize that we have accrued a debt that we cannot fully pay back. Imagine you are a father. That's a little harder if you're a girl, but that's okay. Imagine you're a father, and you have a daughter. And this daughter is three years old, and now imagine you just bought a brand new car, and you brought it home, and you're so excited you've never owned a brand new car in your life. And you brought it home, and it's even got the extra features that cost like five times as much as you think they should. And you're so happy with that car. And for a week, you wax it and you keep it all awesome. And only a week has gone by, and your little three-year-old daughter, who is just kind of learning to write, goes outside with a stick and etches into the car her name. And you go outside and you look and you say, Hey, how you doing, baby? You know, baby girl. I don't have a girl. Just three boys. And you say, How you doing, baby girl? And she goes, Daddy, look. I wrote my name and your heart just drops. For you love your girl, but you don't want your name on your new car. It was red. You always wanted a red car. And there it is. You know, you could go to your baby girl and say, baby girl, you're going to have to pay for that, and until you do, you can't stay here. (laughs) But we all kind of intuitively know that she can't do that, right? You could say to her, this would be equally sick. You could say, you know, you can't pay me back now, but I'll put it on your ledger. And when you get older, you can't move out until that's paid back. But you wouldn't do that either because, you know, by the time they're 18, you want them out. (laughs) So you have but one choice. All you can do with your baby girl is forgive her, recognizing she's caused a debt that she cannot repay. And I'm sure your baby girl would realize and recognize soon enough like with your reaction that you're not thrilled to death that like she did something that wasn't good. And you'd have that conversation and you'd say, you know, baby girl, don't do that again. We, we only write on paper, you know, not on walls and cars. But your car is still marred. And it doesn't matter if she goes home that afternoon and cleans her room really well and say, Daddy, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. I cleaned my room. Are you happy? Is it better? And you say, I, I, you know, you might say I'm happy, but in your heart, you know it doesn't make it better. You got to take it to a detail shop. And you got to pay a lot of money to have that thing fixed. Something else that seems pretty expensive for what you get. And it is just this way with our relationship with God, isn't it? We accrue a debt that we cannot pay, and we try to pay it back and make things right with God and with others by doing the equivalent of cleaning our room after we've destroyed his car. God doesn't have cars, He's omnipresent. He can go anywhere at any time. But you know what I mean. You see, God sees your sin as a debt that you cannot repay. And to think you can even the scales by being good is like that child trying to make things right by cleaning their room. I want you to see what Romans chapter five says. I love this language. You see that at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You Recognize first in verse six that the person that God, that Paul is talking about is powerless to do anything about his sin and he is not good. He is ungodly. You see, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot restore our relationship with God by being good. We can only restore it by being forgiven. And the good news is, God wants to forgive us. He does not hold us Against us, what we've done wrong, but he opens his arms and says, Come right in. I've got a paint shop in heaven and I'll just scuff it right out, make it all good. He does not withhold his love or his forgiveness as a result of our past, but he says to us, That is the very reason I sent Jesus to die for you, the sinner, the ungodly, the powerless so that you might be made right in a relationship with God. And the good news is, everybody is welcome, everybody gets in the same way, and everyone can meet the requirement. Everyone is welcome, everybody gets in the same way, and everyone can meet the requirement. Perhaps the most famous verse in all of the Bible, even if you didn't go to church, you probably know this verse. It just kind of seems to happen where you learn it. And it says this, For God so loved the world, everybody is welcome, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, everybody can meet the requirement. Everybody gets in the same way through belief. Will not perish, but will have eternal life. You know, the foundation for boundaries is really the love, and forgiveness of God. And it begins by praying to God, and you don't have to pray this exact prayer, but if you've never understood what it looks like to be in a right relationship with God, then you might pray something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for not being fair. Thank you for instead being merciful. I believe true fairness would have separated me from you forever because that's what I deserve. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins, and I place my faith my trust in him as my savior. Thank you for sending him to die in my place. Amen. And it is this love and forgiveness of God through the sacrifice of Jesus that is the foundation for developing healthy boundaries. And I know we spent 11 weeks on this, and I hope it's been helpful to you, and some of you may be glad it's over. But this series, at its core, is all about Jesus and about getting into a right relationship with God's son and learning that we are unconditionally loved, unconditionally forgiven, and start offering that to the people we know around us in a way that is healthy. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask that you would help all of us to see, believe, and to understand the beauty of Jesus and what he has done on our behalf through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I pray that you would redeem our relationships and make them new. I pray that you'd give us the strength to stand firm, to do healthy things in, this, in spite of resistance. And I pray above all, that we might reorient our entire lives around Jesus, who he is, and what he has done for us. We pray all of this in his name, amen.